John chapter 12. I had one more contemplation from this morning's sermon. I'll read John 12, 20 through 26. Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or fruit. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates this life, his life in this world, will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him, my father will honor. Now, I want to, again, think about the connection that verses 25 and 26 have with verse 24. Notice in verse 24, but if it dies, it produces much fruit or grain. That is, it bears much fruit. If it dies, then. If, then. Condition, result. It assumes, excuse me, the contrast here assumes one thing from the previous words not mentioned in these words. It assumes the grain or seed falls into the earth, okay? When seeds are planted in dirt, uh, some of you have seen it before, fast motion or whatever they call it, you know, the, the, the shell, they shed their shells and then the, the sprouts start to come out and then comes out of the ground and, you know, the sprouts occur in the dirt first and then they come out of the dirt and go vertically because of, some of you know all the technical reasons why that happens, uh, sunshine, heat, water, all that stuff. And then branches are formed and then at the time of the year that fruit bearing occurs for that particular plant, fruits come uh, are, are born. So this assumes the grain or seed fell into the earth. Because without falling into the earth, it couldn't shed its shell, cause a spr- you know, sprout to come out, and then come out of the ground and go through the whole process of bearing fruit. So it had to fall into the ground first. So what's, what's the Lord's point here? That seeds and planting them and their development tell us everything we need to know about his glory? Probably not, right? One little illustration from nature isn't going to exhaust the incarnation, sufferings, and glory of Christ. It might give us a little window into what's going on there, but it doesn't explain everything. So it illustrates without exhausting. It illustrates this, this uh, illustration from nature, illustrates aspects of what it means for our Lord to be glorified. 
The hour has come for me to bear much fruit. I think I said that in the first uh, hour. I think that's the point. It's now time to go through the rest of this process of the accomplishment of redemption so that I might ascend to the Ancient of Days. Nations might become mine, and I'm going to bear much fruit in that. Listen to what J.C. Ryle says. He, He says, unless I die... Whatever you and your private opinion may think my purpose in coming into the world will not be accomplished. But if I die, multitudes of souls will be saved. He goes on, the hour has certainly arrived for my being glorified. I am about to finish the work I came to do, leave the world, ascend up to my Father, and be highly exalted. My earthly ministry of humiliation is ending, and my time of glory is drawing nigh. But all this is to be brought about in a way very different from that which you are thinking about. He's talking to the audience that Jesus uh, was around Jesus. I am going to a cross first, and not a throne. Remember the... Remember the palm leaves? They were trying to make him prematurely. I am trying to make him king prematurely. I am going first to be condemned, crucified, and slain. That's a part of his glory. We're going, well, why would he have to do that? He is doing what he is doing for us and for our salvation. Was he guilty of anything? No then why these sufferings for our guilt? Because of us. So the point of the illustration is the death that bears much fruit or produces uh, effects in the sense of sinners who believe the gospel and are going to enjoy eternal eternal life someday. So our Lord announces that he will die and produce a crop. He will die and purchase many souls who will, between his ascension and second coming, hear of him, believe upon him, and be saved to the Jew first, then to the Greeks or Gentiles, beginning in Jerusalem at Pentecost, then going out from there to the nations of the world. That's exactly what the book of Acts does, right? It's after the ascension. You see the ascension in chapter 1. Then at Pentecost, this endowment from heaven, the gift of the Spirit, and the apostles in this case, Peter in Acts chapter 2, stands up, boldly proclaims Christ, and uses the Old Testament to justify the statements he's making about the Jesus who they had just experienced, who went back up into heaven. So it starts in Jerusalem, then it goes to the outer skirts, Samaria, then it goes to, by the time you get to Acts 16, it's going all over Europe, the ends of the earth. Our Lord's death, in other words, produces a crop, for he was slain and didst purchase For God, with his blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nations. If if it dies, it bears much fruit. He died, he's bearing much fruit. What do those who benefit from his death, how should they live? Not for this world, but for that world. They should hate life in this world as it is, and they should live for 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 the world to come. The Son of Man's death involves a purchase. He owns those for whom he died. For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, Paul says, glorify God in your body and your spirits. 
His death produces a crop because his death was for us and for his salvation. He bore the awful load of our guilt so that we would not bear, be not be guilty before God. Some from all of the earth, all of the earth will benefit from his work. His death bears much fruit. You can hear this kind of happening in the sermons in the book of Acts, not just at the beginning, but listen to these words from Paul. It's a sermon that he's given toward the end of the book, Acts 26, 22, and 23. And so, having obtained help from God, I stand this day testifying both to small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul proclaims that what happened in his day, the gospel went to Jews and Greeks upon our Lord's resurrection. He, he tells us it was rooted in the Old Testament. What we're seeing in our day is that which the prophet said would take place. The Messiah would do his work. He would die. He would be put in the ground. But he would come out as the first fruits of a great harvest to come. And now the rest of the fruits are being made visible or manifest by virtue of the gospel going out. It's spoken word gets blessed by the Spirit of God in the souls of those who hear. And... His death bears more fruit as they believe in Christ. And this happened, first of all, in, uh, to the Jewish people, but then to the Gentiles as well. And it's all rooted in the Old Testament. The Son of Man gets glory due to his finished work, but the Son of Man's glory is not limited to Paul's day. We don't read Paul's words in Acts 26 and go, wow, I wish those days would come back. We live in those days. It's still bearing much fruit. We've had conversions and baptisms recently, new, new converts. Uh, where does it go back to? Well, the redemptive historical foundation is the incarnation, sufferings, and, and Christ for them and for us. Through the preaching of the apostles and then through the preaching of others all throughout history, in all the lands of the earth, the fruit of Christ is born in the soul's of his sheep, not just to the Jews, but also the other sheep. See what I just did? I used the words of Jesus, John 10, 16, and I have other sheep. Okay, this isn't like a new plan. Didn't work. First plan didn't work. Now we got plan B. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I take it to be not of the Jewish fold. I must bring them also. Notice, I might bring them also. That'd be a bummer, huh? What do you mean you might? Don't might. Must it. Do it. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. If you are a believer in Christ, you have heard the voice of Christ in the preaching of the gospel. You are his fruit, produced by his grace in you, and grounded upon his work for you. So, what should you do? You go, I get it. Okay. The time's kind of, is, is at hand for him to be glorified. He's the son of man. And according to the promise in Daniel, that vision in Daniel, in the future, this incarnate son of God, 
He's going to assume our flesh, assume our duties, assume our liabilities, and bring us to glory, not just us as Jews, but us as the people of God from whatever tribe, kindred, tongue, and nation, all the languages of the earth. He's going to be given dominion over them, and this has happened. It's happened a long time ago, and it's been bearing fruit ever since, and now here I am professing Christ. I'm a member of, you know, GRBC, and I'm realizing this more and more and more, so what should you do? Here's what you should do. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So you remember Romans 1 through 11? The fall of man and Romans 1 and 2, the sinfulness of man and the plight, God's righteous requirements and our sinful uh, records and inability to obey the law of God, and then justification is pronounced, and, and sanctification, and all these wonderful things, sovereignty of God in Romans chapter 11. When he finishes going through all, the, the, all of that, you know, plight and then solution, problem and then God's solution, our problem and then God's solution, Christ, there's that big therefore at chapter 12, verse 1. You remember what it says there? That's chapter 8. Got, you got close, though. But listen to Romans 12.1. This is Romans 12.1 after all of Romans 1 through 11. So here it is. Right after he says this, I will owe the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who was first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. The answer to all those is no one. For, this is the ground or basis upon which he can ask those questions and imply a no answer to all of them, of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that he just delineated, that you present your bodies, that you stop living for the world and and its lusts, that you live for the netherworld, that you live for the, the world to come, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is the basis upon your which you're going to be accepted into heaven. No, he doesn't say that either, right? Which is your reasonable... What should you do in the light of the mercy of God in your life? Serve him? Do what he says? And be thankful? And then when you trip and fall? Like us? Like all of us? You you stay down because you fell. And you say, Lord... It's me again. Please forgive me. Help me. I don't want to do this again. I don't want to say that. I don't want to have that attitude. I don't want to do that action or whatever it was. Please help me in Jesus' name. Amen. You get up and you serve him. And when it's all said and done, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be raised from the dead, glorified. I think that's ultimately what he means there by, and my father will honor them by bestowing upon the son's sons the same virtue and resurrection power that the Son experienced in space and time on the earth, you know, 2,000 years ago. We're going to be honored in that sense. The, the dead shall rise. The, 
everyone in the grave shall hear the voice of the Son of God. Isn't that a majestic, you know, section of John's gospel? Every, everyone, all, it's weird. Wait, how could people in the grave hear the voice of the Son of God? I don't know. God puts their souls back in their bodies? Makes them able to hear again like they used to? You say, well, how could he do that? In the beginning, God created the heavens of the earth and the earth. If he could do it in the beginning, why can't he redo it? He can. He will. I think that's the honor we're going to get. It's all because of Christ. We should be very thankful. What do we do in light of all this grace and mercy that's come upon us? We give ourselves away. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy. We pray that you would help us to honor you. Bless the supper, the sign signifying communion, real communion that we have with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because of the Spirit uniting us to Christ who brings us back to God. Thank you for the means of grace. Bless it, the preaching, the uh, supper, to the well-being of our souls. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.